Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 172, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Jeff and talk about getting your spending under control, the sunk cost fallacy, and selling underperforming assets. Just looking at the amount that we spend a month, I mean, for how much you make, it doesn't sound like, okay, we can, we can, we make enough to spend that much. Great. But then, you know, if you try to plan, okay, well, how many, you know, when you try to look at your number, let's say, how many doors do I need at this much cash flow to reach our goal, right? And then all of a sudden, when you're like, wow, we need $14,000. It's a staggering amount of wealth. You have to build an empire to support that. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my low-hanging fruit expert co-host, Scott Trench. These introductions are always so appealing, Mindy. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or maybe you're already a millionaire and just don't know how to rejigger your financial position to become free, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. I'm super excited to have Jeff on today because Jeff has a nice problem to have in that he makes a super high income and he's not really keeping track of where his money is going. So he has a lot of really easy, I don't know that easy is the right way to say it, but a lot of really easy fixes to launch him towards his financial dreams, which are retiring early. Yeah, I, I think I I think that he's really got control of his finances. He wants to do better. He's he's got a lot of things going right for him. His family's doing a good job in a lot of ways. What I think this show highlights is a classic problem that is crippling middle class America in general in this country. It's that the the money, the liquidity, the cash leaks through your financial position. And, it, and, and the numbers, the net worth numbers only show up in that home equity and that retirement accounts in a really meaningful or robust way. And that limits freedom. It's, it's net worth on paper, but it's not enabling you to make changes in your life or it, it doesn't feel like you're getting ahead. It feels like you never have any cash. It feels like you're only, you always got that one month. It feels like if you lose your job, your whole position blows up. This is the situation that Jeff has found himself in in spite of the fact that he's a millionaire. Um, and so I think today... <laughs> Taking that, digesting his position and spitting out a new framework that allows him to accumulate real liquidity and begin redistributing his wealth so that some of his wealth, at least, is intangible assets that produce spendable cash flow today um, or spendable liquidity today is going to make a huge difference in his freedom quotient, if that's a thing, um, his ability to uh, enjoy life and realize his goals. Because he's he's there. He's there or close. He just needs to re-strategize his capital deployment. Yeah, I'm really excited for his follow-up episode because I think that he is going to, once he starts making these changes, they're going to become easier and easier and easier to continue to make. Before we bring Jeff in, my lawyer makes me say, the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal tax and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Thanks, Minnie. Now, should we go talk to Jeff about money? Yes, we should. 
When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Jeff, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi, I'm excited as well. Thank you. Jeff is married with two children and he's on the path to financial independence, but Jeff has a caveat. Jeff has poor vision and is pursuing Phi to be able to use his eyesight while it's still there. I share in Jeff's poor vision, so I totally get it. Uh, You see me with glasses on today because I can't see. (laughs) Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about your financial background? What is your income? What state do you live in? Um, high cost of living area, low cost of living area, your debts, and uh, let's get an overall financial picture. Okay. So I've always been money conscious, but while my efforts and goals are there, the actions haven't always turned out the way I'd hoped. So I always had two jobs in high school and in college. So I've always, I know the value of working hard for money, but it always went out in different areas. So you know, I've always worked. And after college, I paid off my student loans. It took about six, seven years. I bought a duplex before I bought my single family home that we live in. We live in California, so it is expensive. So we live in Orange County, which is expensive, but we have our house one off-ramp away so we could save money. So we bought the duplex in 2007 in a small town thinking that that city would get bigger and whatnot and the values would grow. After 2008, the reverse happened. So it went down. 
uh, we I hold on to it. You know, the rents pay the mortgage and whatnot, so it's there, but it doesn't generate any income per se. And the we live one off ramp away from Orange County to save money, and we bought our house in 2010, and um, we got a good deal around 340, and now it's worth around 600. So you know, I'm trying to save money that way, but uh, because we still you know, we work out in Orange County. The one-off ramp away takes us about takes about forty-five minutes to drive every day, so it weighs on us. So our goals, along with being financially independent, are to try to move in that area. You know, one day. So, um, along with that, you know, we we try to save on groceries and whatnot. And um, we have I have an investment property in Memphis. We have two HELOCs. I'm not sure how in detail you want to go you know, on those to try to try to pay off existing bills. We'll definitely dive into those. We've, we've uh, learned a lot about those recently. <laughs> okay. And then we've, I have a truck payment and I've, I will never buy a brand new truck, but I would always buy newer to save on maintenance and whatnot. And um, so we have a truck payment and I was driving a lot for work. So the, the, um, the reimbursement checks paid for it. Well, now I'm not driving for work anymore. I'm staying home. So I'm paying for that. But it's it's a two percent, you know, interest rate. So that's not crazy. So while I could just try to pay it off, I'm a big fan of, you know, try to invest elsewhere where the numbers are higher to try to pay it back with those profits. So I have about one and a half years left to pay that truck off, and I'm not in a hurry to do that right now. Uh, my wife has a leased car, and so she makes more than I do, and she, you know. She deserves some luxuries. She's in meetings all day. She works longer hours. And she says, I want a newer car every three years. And I don't have to do maintenance. I don't have to struggle. It doesn't go up and down in value. I just know I'm going to be paying more every three years. You know, so we've we've talked about that and whatnot. So those are our car payments. The HELOCs. So we took a HELOC out of our primary to pay off our one of our biggest financial mistakes ever, which is a timeshare. And we cannot get out of it for the life of us. And we're paying on it and paying on it. And it's hard to use. So we're just making those payments a month. We use the HELOC to pay it off because we thought, hey, if we pay it off, we'd have more options. Turns out it was the exact opposite. So we're stuck with it for now. So we're trying to pay off that. And a kitchen remodel, which we did before we had our second because our kitchen was literally falling apart. So it had to get done. So we use the HELOC to pay for those two things. And I'm a big fan of the HELOCs because you know it's a lower interest rate. It's flexible. You don't pay for it unless you use it kind of thing. And you know, depending on your tax man, you know, the interest is right, it's a write-off. So we're trying to pay those off. That's about thirty-five thousand dollars right now. It was eighty-five a couple of years ago. So we're, you know, chipping away at that. That's been the biggest one. So this year, we're going to try to walk away from the timeshare, just you know, say it is what it is, stop trying to sell it, and get away from that. that as far as our big debts, that's it. Uh, I have child support, and that's about $650 a month. And um, also, we have daycare for our second, and that's $1,400 a month. And um, that's a private, and that's why that's so high. And we justify that because it's across the street from my oldest's school. So... You know, it's easy pickup. Grandparents can pick up and whatnot. And we tried a cheaper one, and it just, it just did not work. 
So it's the price you pay for kind of living far away in a different city because you can't just, you know, drive far away to different schools. It'll just eat up your afternoon after work too fast. So it's the price we pay. So those are pretty much the big, the big ones that we were working through. And then, so I can give you a quick numbers. Our mortgage is sixteen hundred, and we are in the middle of a refinance right now to save two hundred a month on that. And um, duplex is about eleven hundred a month, and uh, that brings anywhere from thirteen to twelve hundred a month in. So it's fine when the tenants are paying your mortgage, but this year we had an AC go out and a septic tank go out, so you're out nine thousand dollars out of pocket right there. So that. That definitely hurts. You've got a two hundred dollars spread. We have eleven hundred, twelve hundred in rent, and a thousand dollar mortgage. Is that what I heard? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. And I did look into refinancing that as well to try to go lower interest rates. But an additional one hundred fifty dollars a month I'd save is not worth it because you know I paid two forty for this thing in two thousand seven. In two thousand ten, it was worth eighty, and now it's worth about. 170. So as my real estate knowledge has grown, I've realized, well, I can get a lot more money out of state. And so I'm going to try to sell it next year to try to put whatever profit I can to something cheaper to try to just get equivalent to that rent without the big debt hanging over me, if that makes sense. So that that's another one. Timeshare is not too bad. It's about $280 a month, but can't use it, right? And we're still paying paying it off with the HELOC, which is about $350 a month. And then our, we have minimal expenses. I only We only have cable during football season. So I usually I'll have it, cancel it. You know, we just YouTube it. Highly necessary, yes. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, as if maybe you can tell through my background is I always care about money, but the results aren't always there. And another big one hanging over our heads is so... I have a paid off property in Memphis and I bought that five years ago. It's been rented the whole time, no problems. Uh, So I took a second HELOC out on that with the idea of, hey, let's use this quote free money to make some profit and then help pay off the other HELOC. Well, that turned bad. I lent a flipper money, didn't work out, ended up putting more money. So right now that's at about $60,000 that I owe, which the payments on that are about 200 a month. The house is on the market. It's under contract. That, that's interest sorry. only, right? Yes. HELOCs are interest only. So, so it's, it's, your, your payment is much higher than that. You're just only inter- your interest requirement is 200 bucks a month. That's correct. And so the, one of the reasons why I like HELOCs, you know, I believe in the value of them, if you can make money off of them, is at the end of the year, when you find out how much interest you've paid, depending on you know, what you bought with that, it is a write-off. So you're getting a cheaper interest rate than just, let's say, maybe hard money or credit cards. So depending on how you use it, I, th- I do feel it's a valuable tool. I know it can be hard to get more than one. So I was lucky enough to get two. Uh, I don't know if I'm lucky right now, but so I I learn and I try to apply these things, but this just hasn't worked out. So that will be something that we would be paying off down the road once the house sells and the dust settles as far as exactly how much we owe. So when I, when I think about your assets, we've got the primary residence, we've got the rental property in California, we've got the rental property in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes. Is that right? Correct. Do you have cash? Yes. Well, how much cash do you like to hold on, on hand? Okay. So I would call it a blessing 
and a curse, but we, so we bring in about roughly 250 a year, pay a lot of taxes, but as the income comes in, um, so my wife gets bonuses and she's very good about, okay, I'll sit the meetings all day, but you kind of handle the meeting or you handle the, you know, the money. And so I'm heavy into the stock market, not just a broad S&P fund. I play individual stocks. It's like a gambling addiction, basically, because I you can make a lot one morning and you can lose it all the next. So, you know, I play that. I try to be smart. Uh, so we have about 65000 right now in that. And I could take that all out today and pay off a lot of those debts, but that money is not working for me then. And then we'd have to start saving over and over and over again. So that is one of the questions that we kind of go back and forth on is, if I'm regularly making 30 to 40% in the stock market, well, this year, is that worth trying to pay off a HELOC that's at 4% right now and a car loan that's at 2%? And I try to I try to do half and half every once in a while. So every three or four months, I'll take, a, I'll take whatever profit I made, not the original investment out of the stocks, and then pay off the HELOC. So I try to, I try to compromise in that. Whether that's the best way to do it, I'm not sure. It's just to me, it has made sense. No, no f- fair enough. Well, let's let's get into kind of like the why behind all of these things later on, and let's just keep going through your assets. So your assets, we've got the Memphis property, the California rental property, the primary residence, and then sixty five thousand in stocks. Do you have a cash cushion specifically? Maybe about ten thousand. About ten thousand. Okay. And then, do you have retirement accounts or anything else like that? Yes. So. We each have a Roth that after listening to, I can't remember what show it was that you did about the converting the Roth. I had to listen to it like six times to understand step-by-step. So we each have about 25,000 in a Roth IRA. I have 260 in a 401k and I was doing 25%. And then I realized, well, I'm just going to stick to the five because that's matching and then try to invest the rest, right? So 250-ish, right? Uh, in the retirement account. Great. And does your does your wife also have a retirement account? Yes, I think probably let's say high twenties maybe, in that one. And once again, just I think it's three percent, which is the match. Great. And and is this a, is this a pretty complete picture of your assets now? Yes, assets absolutely. Unless you want to look at my truck, which I owe about eight, and it's worth about seventeen. Yeah, we don't really. We, we can talk about the truck. I don't know if that's going to be the meat of uh, of your financial story here. That you've got some big numbers th- that you're yeah, throwing around yeah. in the income, expense, and some of these assets things. So while there's certainly optimization to be done in some areas like the truck, I don't think that's going to be the eighty twenty of your financial position. At, um, okay. In this. And then, do you want to? Would you like to know the um, our expenses for the month? Yeah, I'd love month to and then take them. I'd love to start with how much do you think you're able to accumulate on an after-tax basis each month? How much can you deposit into a bank account, for example, if you just if you were just diverting it there while maintaining your 401k contributions as they currently stand? Uh, we are about fourteen thousand six hundred a month, and I have a side job. I do IT work, so it depends on if there's any projects and whatnot. That'll bring home anywhere from five hundred to three thousand every couple months. So it's not guaranteed, but I've been doing it for so many years now that um, you know we can rely on it. Okay, great. And then, what what is your state? How much are you able to save out of that fourteen plus? So thousand? we we put twenty percent aside each month, and then we 
we're saving around 3000-ish. Our expenses come to about 9600 give or take. And one of those big bills was our groceries which was coming out to about 1000 a month because we were all at home for a while and that we probably trimmed that down to about 800 now. Awesome. I don't know specific. We always talk about groceries. It is definitely possible to continue to knock that down, but $800 a month seems pretty par for the course for a family of your size that we've, we've heard on the show, even in other places that maybe are, are cheaper than California. I know we can, we can get those down, but I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 9,600 a month. Let me just point something out here that let's round it to 10,000 a month in expenses at that level of spending. You're going to, if you like the 4% rule, for example, that's $120,000 a year. Every four, if the 4% rule says that uh, I can safely withdraw about 4% of my portfolio to sustain a 30 year, and we've had a lot of arguments and disagreements and debates about how, <laughs> whether that, how that translates to uh, perpetuity. But we like the 4% rule as a general rule of thumb as that moving phi target. Some people like to go beyond that and be more conservative. But just playing devil's advocate, if we're doing that, if you want to spend $40,000 a year at the 4% rule, that means you need a million dollars in net worth, invest, invested net worth in order to draw down $40,000. At your current $10,000 spend, that implies a $3 million net worth target for FI. So I really think that that $9,600 number, given your goal of moving toward FI very rapidly, has got to be one of the first things there because the more you spend, if you can cut that down from $120,000 a year to $80,000 a year, now you're not only able to accumulate more wealth, but now you only need $2 million instead of $3 million to sustain retirement, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. So where does that $9,600 go in? Yeah, so we have a mortgage payment, which is you know $1,600. The child care, which is $14, but you know, he will go into the public system in a couple of years. So that will go away. But if we do move closer into your Orange County, then our... Our mortgage will go up a little bit as well, but that will go away. Child support, it's here to stay. You know, and I've looked at, you know, you start from the top, the biggest expenses and try to work your way down. Looked at renegotiating that as well. So maybe it will go down. I'm not sure, but right now it's it's there to stay. Yeah, grocery store, a couple small, you know, subscriptions, nothing big. Or shopping. So Amazon, and this is where communication is key. You know, that is anywhere from 400 to 700 a month. And that is, you know, diapers is about a hundred dollars a month and any kind of supplies we need right away. Right. And the Amazon creeps up on us because I'll have a budget. You're all, how know, okay, we spent this much. This is how much we have left. And um, all of a sudden that Amazon card comes up and says, well, I didn't know you were spent this much. Well, I needed this and that, whether they're an essential or not, we didn't know. Right. And so we talk on how much we have to spend, but we don't really talk on how much we're allowed to spend per se, because we're both money conscious, but we're not going to, if we need it, we need it because the money's there, if that makes sense. So the Amazon, which is just anything we need for the house or gifts or anything like that. So that's about 600 a month going out to eat, whether it's happy hour or just like a quick dinner, which is my wife and I, that's about 250 a month. Now that everything's shut down again, that has really helped out. So I would, I would put that at about 150 a month give or take. Restaurants, we're at about, and that's just takeout for the family, right? If we can't cook one night, that's about 460 a month. 
give or take. We are doing so much better now that we're forced to just do a big grocery run and have leftovers and Instapot and Crock-Pot. You know, we're doing a lot better, but around that's around 400 a month. Fast food is 100 a month. So. so so, how much total are you spending on food other than groceries? How do we sum that up? I, I, I hear 250 a month eating out, 460 a month on takeout, 100 a month on fast food. Yeah, you're at about 800. Okay, great. So $800 a month at various restaurants in addition to $1,000 a month in groceries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, great. I'm seeing some... Big opportunities, but I'm also seeing like your mortgage you said is $1,600 a month. That seems really low for the Southern California market. I don't know that moving closer is going to free up much of anything because when you sell your house, you get a big bunch of money. But then if you don't put it all down on your next property, you're going to be having a higher mortgage payment. I mean, what are properties going for? I think you said you paid $350, $360 for your current house. Right. So we paid 340. It's worth like low sixes, give or take. And yes, and that value, my mortgage payment's going to go down 200 a month in a month or so because we're refinancing. So it'll be about 1400 a month. But it, while it's cheaper, it does weigh on you sitting in, you know, 45 minutes of traffic to go one off ramp every day. And then once we have sports, that's, you know, you're sitting in traffic two or three times a day to go back and forth for practices and whatnot. So it does eat at you. It's a lifestyle thing. You know, do you want your kids sitting in the back of a car versus having a higher mortgage payment to live closer, which is, you know, we, we struggle with, but yes, while, you know, how do you make that compromise? You want to retire early, but you want to have a quality of life to where we're not in the car all the time. Yeah. That's a tough one because let's say you sell your house for 600. What can you buy? closer? Is it going to be less? Can you get anything less than 600 closer? (laughs) No. And it would, I mean, it is going to be one off ramp away that we will move. And the cheapest we could probably find is 750. And, you know, we've looked at, you know, you could find a a quadplex for a million. And we've thought about doing something like that. If the numbers make sense, I've talked to my wife about, you know, have buying a bigger house with the fourth bedroom or fifth bedroom and renting it out, but she's very skeptical with having kids and having somebody else. So we are talking about those strategies, but you know, our goal is to try to do this in two years. So we'll see. But yeah, seven fifty eight hundred would be the price. Okay. Yeah, I don't see that being a financially beneficial decision. It doesn't. It, not taking into consideration the life quality part. Financially beneficial, I don't see that really working out in your favor unless you do something like the quadplex. But then do you want to live with other people? You know, and that's a consideration. I've taken note to some of your previous podcasts about, you know, live and flipping as well. Because if I could do one or two of those, you know, I could sort of maybe flip my way up to an affordable house. So, you know, that would be something we could look into as well. That's also an option. With your expenses, we've we've gone through sixteen hundred in mortgage, fourteen hundred in childcare, a thousand in groceries, six hundred and fifty in child support, six hundred in Amazon shopping, and eight hundred in food. Do we have any other major expenses coming out of your position right now? Car payments. Yeah, so t- car payment at two percent, which is my truck, and her car, which is four twenty eight. So, what is the sum total of those car payments? 
It's like eight fifty. Eight seventy two. Great. Okay. And keep keep going. What else we got for expenses? And that's just the car payments. How much do the cars in total cost you on a monthly basis between the payments and the gas and the insurance? So our insurance for both, it's pretty cheap. It's it's one twenty five, and then we have our cell phones, which between us both is three thirty, which is a lot. And we've tried to reduce those. The HELOC on the you know on our primary. 350 timeshare 282 oh and we have two dogs and so those dogs between dog food and you know vet is 175 a month and we're just talking about the big ones right and um like you said groceries are a thousand amazon 650 okay great so and you think we've covered most of it now for the big ones, unless you want to, unless like the, I have an HOA, which is 170. So now you're getting into the lower ones. Give me a, some of the miscellaneous stuff. Like how much, how much total are we missing from your spend of the, the smaller stuff? Why don't we add it all up and, and lump it together? You're about 2000 with the miscellaneous. Okay. So we got another 2000 on top of that. So I've got 14,600 a month in income. I've got 1600 in mortgage. I've got 1400 in childcare. That's because it's 3000 expenses. So I've got a thousand in groceries. That's 4,000 expenses. I've got child support, Amazon, and various other food coming in at 650 plus 600 is 1200, another 2000. So I'm at 5,000 in spend. I've got about a thousand dollars a month going to car payments before we get to gas and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got, um, so now we're at 6,000 in spend. I've got cell phones, HELOC and timeshare. HELOC, again, we'll, we'll talk about, it. I'm not sure that's an expense, um, but you've got another thousand coming out from those items. Now we're at, was it 6,000 in spend, 7,000 in spend? Now we're at yeah. seven. 7,000 in spend. And then we've got another 2,000 in miscellaneous spend for 9,000 a month. So what I'm seeing here, when I zoom out on this, is your housing expense, I think, is quite reasonable relative to your income. So your fixed expense, that's the biggest fixed expense. That's where we always start. And I don't. I think you're doing you, like your current situation is quite reasonable. What you choose to do in the future will have a big impact as a big fixed expense. But you really are, I think, in this in this spot where your variable expenses are what's killing your ability to accumulate cash on a, on an ongoing basis. Like right. these cars, they're crushing you. You're taking a thousand dollars a month, and we didn't even get to gas or maintenance on yeah. those cars, right? And you have yeah. maintenance on at least one of the cars for those. So something's going on there. We've got. 1800 a month on groceries and food is a lot. And I think that you can probably figure out a way to, to form a tight budget there. Amazon shopping, I think there's a way to get controls around that that allow you to still do that without being crazy. And then something's going on in this $2,000 miscellaneous category that to me says screams, hey, we're not really in tight control of our spending with a, with a budget where we've had a, a clear communication about what our goals are and those types of things. What's your reaction to those, those statements? Agreed. Completely agree. And it's, I think it's a juggle as far as with two kids, what, what's acceptable to cut out, what's going to hurt us the most versus, you know, is it worth it or not? But I completely agree. And then we just start normal expense, you know, the utilities for the house, if it's the summer or not, but it could be around 300, but that's included in the 2000 that I mentioned. I approve the air conditioning. 
I approve the air conditioning spent. Oh, well, here, yeah, and we had to actually... The air conditioning ain't killing you on this one. So <laughs> we, had to re- we had to replace it along with the duplex air conditioner. They went out a month apart, so... Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, Which is yeah. why you need an emergency fund and a reserve fund for your rental properties. Sorry, right. kicking a dead horse. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to kick another dead horse. You, I asked you if you track your spending in the application, and you said, yes, recently... And it was eye-opening, but life happens, and so do big expenses that derail us. And I want you to know that that is every single person I talk to. As soon as you start tracking your spending, it is shocking where the $10 goes, the $20 goes. Oh, my goodness. At the end of the month, I just spent $2,000 on random stuff. I put stuff in the Amazon cart all the time. It is Shock. I don't even want to look at how much money I'm spending on Amazon right now because it is so easy. Oh, I just need this one thing. I'll throw it in the Amazon cart. It's not real money. It's just, it goes on the credit card. The credit card automatically gets paid. It's not, you don't think about it until you start tracking your spending. And over the past few weeks, the past few Fridays, I have suggested that people track their spending the Mindy method, which is getting a notebook putting it on the countertop and writing it down in front of your face. And Scott is a millennial and he (laughs) wants to do everything online. He's Mr. Computery and good for him. I'm old and I don't want to do anything on computers. I just want to write it down. But when you do it, the Mindy method, it is in your face. You see this every time you write something down. The first time, you know, the first of the month, mortgage payment. Okay, whatever, there's one line item. that you are, It's $1,600, whatever, it's always the same. Then the third of the month, you're like, why are there 10 line items on here? It's only three days in. And then by the sixth of the month, you're like, holy cow, I'm almost to the next page already. Why am I spending all this money? That's the first month that you do this. And then the next month, you're like, oh, well, I don't need to, I can consolidate some trips. I can, you know, I don't need to buy that. I don't need, you start to pay attention because it's right there. And I want to chime in here for me and some other folks that that works because guess what? I have an enormous cash surplus after every month. And no, I don't have as tight controls over my spending as Mindy's household does. I should do that. I'd be a little richer if I did that. But for me, I don't, I don't need to do that. You need to do that because you earn a high income and it's all leaking. It's flowing through your, your hands, like, like water. I don't know. It's just, it's just moving right on through your position and you're not seeing it, which says to me, you need these controls. You can relax on them one day, perhaps if you're consistently saving that five, $6,000 a month on this, but like you earn $250,000 a year as a household and your net worth you know, I'm estimating is only one or one and to one and a half times that level of household income. I think you guys can do a lot better on that. Well, outside of your rental properties, you got what maybe five, six hundred thousand dollars in total net worth that we kind of articulated there. If I'm doing back of the napkin, yeah. If, according to Mint, our net worth, you know, everything is about one million. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm way off. Hundred thousand because it. I mean, it takes into consideration the four one ks. Oh, that's right. Okay. The rental properties and everything like that. But yes, I mean, I I understand what you're saying. It should be yeah. a lot higher for how much we make. I, I did some very bad math here. Thank you for correcting me on that. Okay, fair uh-huh. enough. But I mean, you're you're doing well in the income front. What are the what are the four principles? Earn more, spend less, 
invest in, in income producing assets and what start a business. So you're earning more. Create assets, yep. You have great income. And it's really easy to be at that income level and think to yourself, oh, I make a lot of money. I don't have to pay attention to it. But when you don't pay attention to it, Scott said it's leaking out and it's, or did you say leaking or pouring? It's not pouring, pouring. out, it's leaking out. It's little bits <laughs> here and there, but it's a lot of little bits. It's 20 bucks. What's 20 bucks? Okay. There's a lot of holes in the bucket, maybe. There's not one giant one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of little holes in the bucket. And, you know, I make $250,000 a year. I can spend 20 bucks, whatever. But it seems like there's a lot of those 20 bucks. I think your food budget is the first thing that could be a huge win is just to try and figure out like meal plan. It is horrible to go to work, spend the whole day at work and then come home and you're like, oh crap, now I got to make dinner for everybody. I have no idea what I'm going to make. I'm just going to have, I went out and got Chinese food last night because my husband ripped apart the kitchen and it was a disaster. And, and, you know, once is fine, but every single night, which is so easy to do, I'm not sitting here telling you you're a bad person, but it's so easy to just like, oh, I got it last night and oh, I'll just get it tonight. And so I think the, the eating out budget can be cut significantly without a lot of impact to your life when you combine it with meal planning. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And let me ask you this. Does your wife like her job? No. She does not like her job. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So 
a couple of things here. Your your wife is the in, major income earner. She's playing the offense in the household. Is that Correct. is that what you had mentioned? So I, I think that that allows you to fairly take up the defensive role in the household and map those things out. And I also think it's perfectly fair for both of you to have spending money that you can use at your discretion. And I think that's a conversation you and your wife need to have about, hey, what do you want your discretionary spending to be? It sounds like she brings in several hundred thousand dollars in income per year. So I think that allows you to have a $2,000 a month, seriously, spending allowance for her and you can pick whatever one you want for her for yourself. I don't know. It could be a large number though. Um, something there that you don't get to touch. You know, that, that, that's not, that's not a discussionary, that's a discussion point, but then everything else is stuff we're going to do. And, and so maybe, maybe what it's, she picks with that is her car lease, right. And, and the gas associated with, it. you know, I guess gas is a necessity, no matter what car you drive, but maybe she wants a fancy car. That's totally fine. Personal finance is personal. And we get to choose our, spend our money on those things that make us make, make our lives enjoyable. And that's something that's, that sounds like it's important to her. And the way you brought it up made it sound like it's a discussion you'd had about mm-hmm. the car. But I think what what can't be happening here is you can't be doing that and leaking two thousand dollars a month out on miscellaneous stuff and carrying a three hundred and thirty dollars cell phone bill and doing the Amazon shopping and be doing the the, the shopping out or the, the the takeout and all that kind of that kind of good stuff, right? That's the combination. So I think there's a way to healthfully, not challengingly, bring this up and say what's a reasonable amount for us to allocate to our personal spending here. And then the rest is going to go to defense and fortifying our, our financial position. Because with your fixed expenses, your grocery bill, I bet you that grocery bill can stay at a thousand bucks and you can eliminate nearly all of that 800 bucks. I bet you, you can get your grocery bill down and still go out a few times a month and have a nice dinner, a date or whatever, around that thousand, maybe $1,200 total food mark, which is a big dent. I think, again, your fixed expenses, the way I'm looking at it, you bring in 14000 15000 a month in income. I think you can be saving seven or $8,000 a month over within a year or two. And that'll make a transformative difference. That's $100,000 in after-tax liquidity annually, if you get to that point or give or take. And that's right. going to make a significant difference in your flexibility and life options. So I think that's the 80-20 of this, of this financial picture, in, in my opinion, is, is something around those lines. Agreed. And you know, it, it it also comes back to with the amount of money that I have in the stocks right now, I could eliminate a lot of those. Now, let's if I took care of the car payment and the HELOC, that's seven hundred ish that would be gone. But that seven hundred a month wouldn't be helping me in the stock market either. So, well, and you would have to pay capital gains on those stocks when you sell them. So it's not Absolutely. just you've got sixty thousand, you sell it, and now you have sixty thousand. Right. Yeah. Let's just point. Let's just zoom back out and say. That is a separate issue, and we'll get to this. This is gonna, this is always fun. This is more fun, I think, than the spending stuff because the spending stuff is boring. It's grind. It's, <laughs> it's I'm gonna have to have hard conversations. I'm gonna have to get control over these things. I'm gonna have to work at a spreadsheet. You know, that's no fun. You know, this is called budgeting. At your level, you might call it cash flow management because you're you're pretty rich. Um, but you know, <laughs> but you know, so but like I think you know, it, it's it's budgeting, it's accounting. Nobody likes doing this. Very well, Mindy likes doing this, but very few people like doing this. You got to do it anyways. If if you want freedom, you have to do this. Um, Scott and, likes it too. Yeah. Now the next piece of your thing. So step two. That that's step one, and that's a distant first. Okay. Now we're zooming way down the list. And we get to number item number two, and that's your capital allocation strategy, which I think also needs some work here. So what you've done 
is you have most of your net worth, the very the vast majority of your net worth in real estate equity, primarily in your primary residence, and then also in retirement accounts. You have $10,000 in cash and you've got the $65,000 in stocks, right? You you are, the way you've capped, is that, is that a, a fair assessment of your general points of your net Absolutely. worth? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. So what that tells me is that your cat, you're not accumulating any cash and it's just kind of flowed out of your bank account. And you've got this kind of like mental guard role as a, as a family around that $10,000 mark. That's not enough cash. That's one month of cash flow in your current situation. One, you should cut your expenses. So it becomes two, two months, you know, by, by just by cutting your expenses. But I think you need a significantly higher liquidity reserve personally. And I think you need to, to build out that reserve for your rental business as well. So when you have that rental business, I like to see, I would like to see like a 15, you have two properties. I like to see a $25,000 reserve in that rental business. You don't have to call it an LLC. I don't know how you structured it, but you should think of it as a private separate business, run it as a separate line item and expense line item through there and capitalize it accordingly. Okay. Now, so, so that's, that's, I think the first thing is cut your spending and build out that liquidity position because you're going to breathe a lot easier when you have a nice, strong liquidity balance, both in your rental business and your personal life. The second thing we've got here is the HELOCs. What you're doing here is because you don't have, you're not accumulating a lot of liquidity in your life, a lot of cash just from your day-to-day operations, what we just talked about, you are taking out debts to finance investing activities against your pri- your primary mortgage and your rental property equity. Is that is that also correct? Correct. And that look, it makes sense on paper. It, you know, you look run these numbers and you look at it and you run it through the spreadsheet and you're like, "Oh, this makes sense. You know, I can arbitrage this at 4% for the higher returns." But in reality, what this does is it sucks even more cash out of your life position and limits your freedom even more. We just had a, a similar situation on episode 170 the other day, uh, the other week, I guess. And, and it's a very similar concept that's going on here. So what, what I would say here is you, you've got to stop the activity set of using HELOCs to continue investing activities. I think it's fine to use a HELOC to consolidate debt at high interest rates, but I, I, would, inv- I would really grind out your financial position, deleverage on those HELOCs over the next year or two, build up that cash reserve for both your personal life and your business, and begin accumulating cash that you can invest in each new property from a position of financial strength, capitalizing each business independently and not taking on a new HELOC debt out. So for example, you said you have a $60,000 HELOC against that Memphis property. Is that right? Correct. That That's costing you $200 a month in interest. That's interest only. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're considering a sixty thousand dollar HELOC against a five and you're trying to pay it off in five years, you've got to pay a thousand dollars a month. Twelve times five is sixty, right? So it's a thousand dollars a month plus that interest. Now, as you pay it down, the interest number goes down, right? Because it's two hundred fifty now. When it gets thirty, it'll be one hundred twenty-five. But that's that's a if you think about it that way, and I, I don't think you should pay, hold the HELOC for more than five ten years. That's that's a lot long time to hold a variable interest rate loan like that. So if you think about it, if, if you agree with that logic and you say, I'm going to rationalize a HELOC as a five-year plan there, that's $1,250 a month coming out of my financial position. What's your rents on that Memphis property? $1,000. So right there alone, now your, your rental property, while you've made a, a, a calculation that makes sense on paper in some ways, right now we know that over the next five years, that's going to suck $1,250 out of your, your life that rental property not provide that cash flow because of the way we've capitalized it, right? Mm-hmm. 
So Correct. I'm not saying necessarily to sell the property and start over, but I do think that I would not continue down this path of using that leverage like that to purchase these properties. And I would instead think about how do I buy these positions from a position of strength and create a freedom position for myself? Because each time you do that, you're just, you're almost, if you want to get to, to the end goal here, at you're taking this big dip that might come out over five years and put you in that position, but it's it's really a, a struggle in the meantime, and you're you're feeling that pain right now. I think with your liquidity in terms of your liquidity position, even as you're maybe cutting out some spending, you're still not able. Like why why am I not building up a bigger cash position? I don't know if that's been thinking through your head, but that's that's probably part of the reason that's of, of why that's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's see what what should we do here. Once we cut out the expenses and have that significant cash reserve, I build up a bigger buffer because I, I don't think your your safety net is. I think you have one month of cash right now, and I think that, I think that like if you if you're something happens to your wife's work, you guys are 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 going to be borrowing again or selling that stock position rather than breathing easy and assessing the next option from a place of cool, calm, and collectedness. So right now, you need to get that freedom. I think is your top priority for the next six months to a year. And then I would begin slowly allowing these debts to get out of your life, you know, get that car payment out of the life. I, I would continue Mac, man, there's a whole bunch here because of your income too. Your income is so high that the tax advantaged accounts are probably a good move here as well. Yeah. He said that they do pay a lot of taxes. We pay a lot of taxes. We also, with the car payments, we drive a lot. And with my side job, I drive. So we write off a lot of that too. Mm. So that does, you know, it helps at the end of the year, even though it's, we pay out every month. So, you know. Yeah. I, I, but like, but here's the thing, like I get that, but the driving a mile is still a net loss. It's just, instead of a dollar loss, it's four, it's 60 cents loss. Right. Mm. So it's not a gain to, to write that off from, from the tax perspective, but the, the, the elephant in the room when it comes to taxes, is your wife's very high income. And that's not going to be... The way to shelter that from taxes is to max out the 401k. But then that also doesn't contribute to the goal of the freedom thing we had here. So the answer is get control of that spending in a really robust way so that you're able to go from earning 14000 15000 a month and accumulating probably two or 3000 a month to play with in the stock market to accumulating seven or $8,000 a month so you can both contribute to that 401k uh, in a meaningful way over the course of the year and have plenty of liquidity to build out that stable cash position and begin paying off some of these debts. That's the hard answer, I think, to your, your financial position. It's not that hard because you're in such high income, which is a great, your wonderful advantage. Well, right. and now there's something to look into. Are you eligible to contribute to 401ks? Can you max out the 401k after you hit a certain income? That's the Roth, that I think. I think you can contribute to the, the 401k really at a lot of income levels. Right. So the Roth, um, individually, I don't remember the, ex the exact amount, but we can contribute. I think it's like 7,000 something maybe. But do you contribute or do you pay down debt? That's what we struggle with because we I have the income to do that. That's always the art of this, right? That's the question. It's like you have 4%, your debt is at 4%. It's not, it's not like at a high interest rate. You know, do I pay it down aggressively or, or not? I think the answer is it's hard to justify paying down the debt versus investing at all times, but your debt is killing your, your freedom and your options in life right now. So stop taking out more debt is number one, even if it is at this low interest rates. And then I would say, 
a couple of these are going to get knocked out. Like your car loan is probably going to get knocked out over the next year, two or three, I imagine, mm-hmm. right? Knock out a HELOC or two because they're not... I, I would think about this like, I took out a HELOC to buy an investment property. That means I didn't capitalize my business before buying it. I just leveraged my house to buy it, to start the business. And that's leaking money out of my position. I would separate the two and say, I should have saved up money and invested in that house from a position of strength. So now I'm going to knock that one out or consolidate my debt, you know, you know, in some other way, maybe like a, maybe like with a long-term cash out refi or something on the house and really make sure that my business is capitalized and that the, the property is stable, adding cash into my life and I'll let me able to build the next position. So I buy the next one and I have a snowball working for me as I build this, this property business rather than against me where everyone I, every time I buy, I've now got another cash suck coming out of my life, at least for a temporary period um, to, but to get, get to that next one. Yeah. Agreed. I agree with Scott that the, the HELOCs should go, but I do think that you are right on the cusp of the, the age where contributing to a Roth is still really, really beneficial because that grows tax-free. So you're putting in $7,000 now, but when it grows to $25,000, $150,000, you pull that out and that's tax-free. That's all yours with no taxes. I would much rather pay taxes on $7,000 than pay taxes on $150,000. So the Roth, I think, is a good thing to continue to contribute to. The 401k, I would continue to contribute to get the match. And then you said at the very beginning, you said you and your wife are both money conscious. Have you had a money date where you sit down with all the numbers and all the spreadsheets and you look at everything? No. Our money dates consist of, okay, what can we try to eliminate? High five. Let's go. That's about it. Okay. So not with the numbers. So Scott likes to say offense and defense. And I think that you have been playing more defensively. And I would love to see you play offensively. And it isn't Jeff against Jeff's wife. It's Jeff and Jeff's wife against the world. So you guys are a team. This isn't, you spend so much money. And it doesn't sound like you have those kinds of conversations, uh, which is good because that doesn't help anybody at all to blame people. But when you have this conversation, hey, let's just look at our picture. This is how we're spending. I would like to look at ways to fix this. I would like to look at ways to reduce some of this spending. Let's together agree on a category to, to tackle. And this, I think, should happen after you start tracking your spending, after you start looking at where every single dollar is going, because it is really eye-opening and shocking when you first start tracking your spending. Because you haven't been conscious of it before, it's just so, wow, I had no idea. So that is going to be my number one suggestion. Yeah, you, you guys, yeah, like I think, I think the way to do it is be like, your wife doesn't like her job, which is not what I was expecting to say. I was expecting to say she likes it a lot. Uh, I don't know why, but that was that was. <laughs> but she she doesn't like her job. You want to you want to be retired early. You guys are millionaires, and yet you had you the way you've constructed your financial position is resulting in no freedom, no options for you, where it's kind of inconceivable to consider other realities. Right? There are people who are of a million dollars in net worth and a family of your size that are done right and free. So there's something going on here around the, the expense side of things 
and then the way that your capital your your capital allocation is going, where it's not intentional about zeroing in and laser focusing on that goal, because once you do that, I think you're going to find your net worth increasing at a much faster rate, and you're going to be like, I got way more cash and cash flow than I know what to do with, and like, why is my wife? driving 45 minutes an hour away to make this level of income when there's an, a remote job that pays instead of 200 and whatever a year, it pays 75 a year. And really that's so much more than we need to do this that we're ready to go right now with, with a lot of these things. So I don't know how that will... Yeah, but something's going on. I think we've, we've highlighted a lot on the spending side and the capital allocation side, but I think that money date's going to make a big difference because if you make that hard mental shift your life could be completely different tomorrow, given your your wealth right now. Right. I also think part of it is also, it's one thing to talk about it, but we need action. And it's not always, when you're setting your ways, it's not easy to start cutting things back and, you know, taking action. And I, and I read your book and one of the first things I did was, okay, you know, IT world, I'm going to, you know, start focusing on my career and making more to bring in. And I got it and I got a certification and I ran to where I said, Hey, look, if we have more to save, you could leave your job doing something you'd like, you know, for less. And it's one thing to, but it's one thing to talk about it. You have to actually do it. And so I think that's where we also struggle. That's really important. It is really difficult. It's so easy for me to sit here and say, you should do this. You should do that. I'd love to see you do this, but I'm not the one who has to do any of that stuff. So it is, It that's a really valid point to say that it's, it's one thing to say that, and, you know, definitely another thing to do. And over the course of just recording all of these shows, we've talked to people who have done cold turkey. We're going to cut everything out. And then that next month really sucks. They're like, wow, I really want this back in my life. I want this back in my life, but they feel like they can't have it. And this death march to financial independence doesn't help you enjoy the journey. And what is the point of getting to FI one year earlier when every minute of your life until you get to FI is horrible? So it is definitely a give and take. And your wife really likes a nice car. Great. She can have a nice car. You guys make enough money that for her to have a nice car is not going to kill your budget. It's just, what does Paula Pan say? You can afford anything. You can't afford everything. So Mm. look into what it is that is really important and really helps you enjoy your life and focus on that. And the other things will fall off. And I'm just going to go back and say that tracking that spending is really going to help. And, and, you know, having a non-confrontational conversation with your spouse is the best way to get them on board. What do you want your life to look like in five years, in 10 years? I want to piggyback on that point. I, I just got married very recently and me and my wife went on a honeymoon. And one of the things we did on our honeymoon was we said, what's our vision for the next five years? It's three to five year vision. It's a half page. It's kind of, you know, it's just, here's where we want to live. Here's how we want our life to look like. Here's what we want to be doing day to day, yada, yada. And we just put it, I'll put it on paper. And then we took some time, another hour or so, and we just set some goals. What are some things we do over the next year to move towards that vision right away? Right. And so that can be a really good way to broach the subject and say, hey, what do I want to be in five years? Do I want to be, you know, commuting an hour, earning a high income and treading water really from a freedom perspective? Or do I want something different? Do I, do, do, does she want to be, it, it does work all of a sudden magically improve for her if she's right next to the office and not, not commuting with that? Do you guys just want to not be working at all and want to be retired and living on a remote island somewhere? Because with your wealth, 
that is a you know and a, and a reallocation strategy that is achievable at this moment in time. Do you want to be? Do you need? Do you really think though that in a practical sense, given the way you're spending, you really need about a two million or twenty two point five or three million dollar net worth to really be comfortable with that spending? That's fine too. But that that's that's the conversation you guys have to have, and then it's a lot easier to back into the tactics and begin eliminating systematically these these big bucket items of spend one by one once you kind of back into that. Right, and to piggyback on that, and just looking at the amount that we spend a month, I mean. For how much we make, it doesn't sound like okay. We 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 make enough to spend that much. Great, but then, you know, if you try to plan, okay, well, how many? You know, when you try to look at your number, let's say, how many doors do I need at this much cash flow to reach our goal, right? And then all of a sudden, when you're like, wow, we need fourteen thousand dollars, or it's a 11, staggering amount of wealth. You have to build an empire to support to support that. It is staggering versus if you were to cut it in half. You know how much easier it is to obtain, and so when you look at it from that, and and if you cut it in half, you're accumulating seven thousand a month, which is eighty four thousand a year in cash. How much faster is it? To, you know, how much faster do you get to any wealth goal when you're accumulating eighty four thousand a year more than you are today? Right. right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So just looking at it like that, it, it it's just you know when you look at the numbers differently, it it affects you different ways. I think you've got. Um, the good news again is that you've got a very high powered offense in your household and offense in the sense of, of earned income. That's your biggest advantage. Play around that. Don't play around your, your, your weaknesses there. Don't try to get your budget down to like, you know, who was the guy we, uh, uh, Clayton Moss, you know, who's living basically for free at 26 with his girlfriend and, and the bottom <laughs> of a, of a duplex. That's not what you need to do. And at your state, right. Clayton's playing an incredible defense because he doesn't have your offense. So play around your strength and try to get that down to four or 5,000 a month in spending. That's still plenty of spending. It's a $60,000 a year lifestyle. That's an upper middle-class lifestyle, even seven or 8,000, maybe in California. Then now you're building a ton of wealth and you again, you don't need to do the incredibly high powered defenses that we sometimes hear about. Makes sense. Okay. Something we haven't talked about, Scott, besides your ultra romantic honeymoon looking at spreadsheets. <laughs> it was, we didn't look at a spreadsheet. We didn't do a spread. We didn't do any spreadsheet. Oh, oh. We just got oh, a piece sorry. of paper, wrote down a vision and then put out some big goals for the next year. And it was wonderful. Virginia is so lucky to have such a romantic husband. <laughs> oh, come on. All right. <laughs> okay. So besides that, we haven't talked about the timeshare, which Jeff said was his biggest financial mistake, and the duplex. So the timeshare, you said you've tried to get out of it. I don't know anything about exiting a timeshare, but I have heard commercials on the radio for timeshare exit team. Have you spoken to any company like that to try and get rid of the timeshare? So here's the thing. We, so many of them. Okay. So if you, they're treated like a, like a mortgage, right? So you, you normally you just pay your, we're paying 14% on the mortgage for this timeshare. So the exit ones are basically, they just show you how to walk away. And so if you paid 40 grand for a timeshare and you owe 40 grand, they're just going to teach you to, they're going to try to just get you to walk away to basically you leave that debt behind. You're not actually selling it. So, you know, to get out of that 14%, we use the HELOC to pay it off. But now none of those timeshare exit strategies will work with us because we already, we paid it off. You can't walk. I mean, it doesn't work for them. So we've tried to sell it on numerous websites and granted we paid probably maybe 40 something for it. And we're trying to sell it for 5,000 and we haven't got a hit. 
like, and this has been a couple of years and obviously COVID doesn't help anything, but this, that's, and to walk away from it, to just say, fine, you have to pay a thousand dollars to the company to say, okay, you know, don't hit our credit score. We're going to, we're going to walk away. It's just, you're handcuffed. And we've spent so many hours. Wait, you know, to walk away, you have to pay $1,000. Yes. That, that's a, and what's the maintenance? Um, the maintenance so we pay about 2,600 a year, which comes out to like the 280 ish. That's right? a no brainer, man. Pay the thousand bucks and get out of there. Too bad. They're ripping you off. I know that sucks, but man, that's a 260% ROI on your spend. If you just pay them a thousand bucks to go away. Yeah. And we, we have so many points. I just like, can we just go on one good vacation and then we walk away and it's been like, we just keep one year later, one year later and next dude, year. Dude, yeah. you, you, here's the thing. You pay that, you pay the thousand bucks one year from now, you have 1600 more dollars to go on the vacation spending that. Yep. You're right. Because you're paying, we're pay, saving money each month. We're putting money away to travel and you cannot use these properties. They're always booked up. And then, then it's like, well, you can book you know, you could book a property way more out, but then we need $20,000 more to up your plan. And it's yeah, like, the, no. The, the, don't, don't, guys, if you're listening to this, don't go to the timeshare presentation. It's not a free lunch. Okay. Oh, uh, there's, a, there's always a probability that you get into this position uh, with it. And and, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that in jest, but like, this is not a deal breaker for you guys. This is not a, a major component of your financial position. This is not a big mistake in the context of the earn, income and net worth that you've built. So do not feel too bad about it. But pay the thousand bucks and get out of it, is my advice. I think it's taking up a lot of mental space too, because you said this is our worst financial mistake. And this is, it seems to be weighing heavily on you. And yeah, it sucks that you paid $40,000 for this. But I agree with Scott. If it was me, I would pay the $1,000 and get out of it and get the mental space out of my head. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Sunk, it's sunk costs. And this is this is the thing that a lot of people have with, with rental properties and any other types of things. You've already spent the money. It's out of the picture. Now I'm going to assess my life right now. And guess what? If you pay, like, let's say, forget the $40,000. How much does it cost to rent a space for a week in this con, in this, in this area where the timeshare is? Well, it's, it's around, it's around the world, but so, I mean, you can get a good deal, but you just, it's hard to actually find a place that's available. That's, that's the biggest issue. And to, yes, never go to the presentations. Yeah. We've gone to enough and we, each one of us walks away and we're just ready to can't get out of there fast enough. So I, I just went, I just went on a honeymoon, right? It cost me about 1500 bucks or something like that for a week. So that's, that's the same price as the split between a thousand and twenty six hundred dollars and it was a all-inclusive, very fancy, that kind of thing. Like I just, I just think your ability to go on a good vacation outside of this timeshare, if you just zoom back out and say, what does what a good vacation look like without the timeshare in mind at all, that you're going to be able to find lots of good places that are fantastic for less than $2,600 a year for the whole family. And it's a one-time fee to break, to, to break that $2,600 a year cost. That's easy math for me. Absolutely. It just, it stings a little bit. I know. I know. It does sting. And yeah, that stinks. But I would, I would agree with Scott, cut the losses and move on. Now let's talk about the duplex. The duplex was supposed to be a good deal and it didn't turn out to be such a great deal now. And you just had to put in, did you say a new septic system and a new AC? Correct. So that was about 9,000. 
Yeah, and you you owe 135, it's worth 160, and you bought it for 240. Correct. And to carry 135,000 worth of debt, you know, it's just it's not worth the income that we're getting from that property. Yeah, I would look if that was my property, I would look into selling that one as well. Just because that's another huge mental space that takes up it's not financially viable. And what are the outlooks for that? What what area of the world is that one in? So it's in California. It's about an hour and a half away. When I bought in 2007, I tried to manage it myself and it went poorly. And so <laughs> I, I learned, you know, property management company, everything's okay. It's always occupied. So it, it pays for itself until something breaks. And it just, it's just over and over again. So what I'm going to do is this spring... Or summer when you know hopefully COVID is eased up over here and lending standards are a little more relaxed then I'm going to put it on the market and say goodbye but it's a, it's a small town about an hour and a half away from us called Barstow on the way to oh, Vegas Barstow that's on route 66 that's in the song that's famous <laughs> yes. um well let me just point out again zooming back out here why this problem is occurring you are a millionaire and you earn your, your household income is over $250,000 a year, okay? This property, you have equity of about, I guess that's $25,000. So that's 2.5% yeah. of your net worth. And the income from it is probably no more than about 200, 300 bucks a month if we're being generous because you have it allocated for CapEx and vacancy and that kind of stuff. We have 1,300. So even if we just say you have $200 a month in cash flow, which you don't, that is less than 1% of your annual income that's coming from this property. So the challenge here is if you're going to invest in real estate with your in the context of your financial position, I'd recommend a system of buying many properties like this so that the cumulative effect is a more meaningful percentage of your net worth. If you're going to lose mindshare to real estate, it might as well be in the context of a meaningful investment relative to your position rather than a small, a, a tiny investment relative to your position. Uh, if that makes any sense. So that, that's a key, I think, consideration for you guys here as well. And something a lot of people don't think of. They're like, oh, I bought this like $40,000 duplex. Hooray. And now I've got $200. Well, no, now I've got a lot of mind share going to this, this 200 bucks. I, it would be much better to place, you know, I would think a hundred or $200,000 in equity on a much bigger bet. That would have a more, much more meaningful impact on your portfolio. However, to do that, you're going to have to create a financial position that allows you to have such a meaningful amount of equity in there. Like I, I personally try to stay away from investments that are going to require any mind share from me that are less than about five or 10% of my net worth. Otherwise I'm not being productive with my time on those types of things. Right. Makes sense. And I've also, you know, I've been thinking about this for years now, whether I should or shouldn't, but every year that I wait, I'm paying down the loan. Right. And so mm -hmm. it makes sense during those years. But then when things happen, you, you take a hit and then now you have to reassess whether it's worth holding on to. But when you put it like that, you know. if, if you'd spent the hours that you spent on this rental property controlling your, your, your spending as a household and really mapping out between you and your wife where you want to be, you'd have another hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That's is, good. Is, is the thing, which I think is the context there is like, sure, if everything else was really tight and you had plenty of extra bandwidth, then sure, go for it and start doing those kinds of things and build a system there. But in this context, I think it's a really low dollar per hour activity to be owning and operating this rental property. Makes I mean, sense. Even if you sell it at a loss, 
even if you sell the thing for 160 for 155 or 153 instead of 160, but instead now you're able to save five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. I mean, it's just immaterial relative to the position. Right. And I've also that was one of the things, you know, when we got married is our when I was single, I would get those depreciation write-offs every year. But then we hit that threshold and now you know it just accumulates until we sell the property. So I, I will get some stuff back to be able to reinvest. Okay. So if you're listening, if you're listening, you know, Jeff here read into a really good problem. So when you earn less than like $150,000 <laughs> a year and you have a loss on your rental property, that loss can offset your earned income producing a tax advantage. When you earn a large amount of income, you're no longer able to use those losses to passively offset your, your earned income, which is the, the wonderful problem that you have now. And why I think a further point compounding the problem that this property, while it could be giving a great ROI on its, you know, in your case, dinky twenty five thousand in equity, it, which is not twenty five thousand in equity because you've got seller fees. If you want to realize that, you have to sell the property and incur agent fees and closing costs. But yep. you know, in your case, a dinky little amount of equity is not no longer. It's producing some income. It, you know, it shouldn't be producing any income because you've got a thousand dollar mortgage. It's probably producing a loss for you. Which you didn't pay the utilities. They do pay the utilities, but do you have maintenance or big capex expenses? You just replace the AC. So yeah, it is. I mean, it is a loss when there is any sort of repair, which is which is a given. And it's a loss for a long time. Yeah, yeah. If you're making yeah. two hundred dollars a month, but you just spent nine thousand, what's nine thousand divided by two hundred dollars? How many months is that going to cost? Forty-five you? months. So it's going to cost you forty-five months of cash flow to pay for the AC and the septic system. Yeah, if, if we ran this through the rental property calculator, this would not be a cash flowing property because you'd have to allocate about 200, 250 bucks to CapEx and maintenance. And then you'd also have to put in a vacancy allowance because you're not gonna have that property occupied nonstop for the next 45 months, unless you are the luckiest landlord of all time. Um, <laughs> sometimes some people do get that, but that's, that's rare when that happens. So right now it's not a cash flowing property when we factor in those other costs, the, the phantom costs of vacancy, and then the um, the allocation for capex that we have to consider with those. Right, and I've sometimes I've justified it because I have the income from the Memphis property to be, well, one income property got a loss, so I'll take that income to pay for that. But then when you look at you know at the end of the year where that rent went, it doesn't go as far because it's going to the other duplex to try to help it out. Yeah, so well, just, it doesn't make sense. Your Memphis property, if you bought it in all cash, is probably doing fine. How much rent yep. you get in there? Thousand dollars. And what's your expenses? Two hundred ish. That's between the uh, taxes and insurance piece. Yep. Without and also, capex. And we've got capex. Let's let's put in another three hundred just to be conservative for capex, maintenance, vacancy, those types of mm -hmm. things. So you're probably making five hundred bucks a month. But we capitalized it with the HELOC. And we think a five-year payback or even a ten-year payback is reasonable on the HELOC. So now I'm actually I'm 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 net negative with that, right? So that's it's not a bad property. That one sounds like a winner, frankly, from a real estate investment deal. But the capitalization is sucking cash out of your life with it. So don't necessarily sell or recapitalize that one no. in the near future. But I think this other duplex is a, is a is a problem for you. Yep, agreed. Okay, well I think we've covered a lot today. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of really easy and it's super easy for me because I'm sitting here. I don't have to do anything, but a lot of easy wins 
if you just tweak a little bit here and there. And I think starting with a money date with your wife, put the kids in front of the TV, get a glass of wine, look at all of your numbers and say, you know, I think we can make improvements here and here. Or, you know, in these three categories, I wouldn't I wouldn't jump in with both feet and say, let's cut everything because your life is going to suck and you're going to stop. But, you know, pick a category, pick a couple of categories. If I was in your shoes, I would look at food first. The car payment is maybe the fourth or fifth thing to look at, in my opinion, just because it is important to your wife and you don't want that to be, you know, well, we need to get rid of this. Because then, you know, that's going to hit a wall that says, you know, I feel attacked because you're, you know, you're pointing out this one thing. So look at the food and start. You're at 1800 to 2000 right now. Let's cut that back to 1500 Let's cut that back to 1250 Let's cut that back to 1000 And just, you know, taking steps to, to actively think about it is going to be huge. But having the money date and getting your, both of you on the same page and working together towards this goal. I mean, you've got the income. The the income is fabulous. And, you know, these these expenses, once you trim those down, you're going to be like, how much more can we trim? It's it starts to become a game. It's actually kind of fun. <laughs> how little can I spend this month? Like once you start tracking it. And the notebook, the old school right in your face is my favorite method just because it is so visible at all times. And, you know, as I started writing them down, I'm like, oh, I got to tell Carl about this purchase. And I don't have to tell him because he's going to see it right here. And why, why'd you buy this? And it's, it's never like a confrontation. Why are you spending money? It was more like, you know, why did you buy this? Oh, bored. I don't know. I was just, it, it wasn't conscious. And once you start thinking about it, then you're like, oh, at the store, you're stopping yourself from buying it, um, which is really, really when the breakthroughs happen. And so the tracking, the spending, the money dates and, you know, start looking into selling those properties and freeing up that mental space so you can focus. You know, that's another thing, Scott. I don't think we really focused on mental space in any of our previous finance reviews, but the mental space of having all of this, the duplex, the timeshare. Oh, I, I keep thinking about that. I'm not thinking about my money. I don't have time to think about my money. I'm too busy on these big, big things that really aren't that big. Let's let's look at them from a financial perspective, from a purely numbers perspective. This doesn't work. It's a sunk cost. Let's just get done so I can focus on other things that'll make more of an impact on my immediate and future. And that's what it's all about is, is the money should be boring, right? My personal finances should be extremely boring, extremely simple, extremely as automated as possible that I can spend my mental space on life. Right. And, and, and yours are, yours are very complicated. So I think, I think, I think it's a great point. And I think it all comes together. I think it's not, these are not conflicting ideas, but to simplify your financial position, to increase your savings rate, to build out liquidity and just have a very simple, elegant, beautiful model where you're, you've got a few investment categories and allocations that are the most freedom creating I think is the the general framework that we've discussed here. There's a lot of tactics we went through, but I think that's the guiding principle that we're that that we're, we're trying to get to with all this. Agreed. There's the headspace. Also, I mean, I don't feel comfortable about having that much money in the stock market just because it's also me, you know, moving things around. So that will come out as well. And that'll help the liquidity portion. Have you considered index funds? I have, but 
They're not it's sexy a, at all. They're so boring. No, it is. It's hard just because if you get lucky and all of a sudden you've made you know thirty percent one week and you're just like yes, and then you know it. So I have considered them, but I just, I just, I, I chase the gains basically, and it doesn't always work out, but it, sometimes it does. So I love that feeling as well. So I play video poker on my iPad <laughs> with fake chips and all that kind of stuff, right? That's what I do. And then I have my my money in the index funds and those types of things. I don't touch them. My system is making me wealthy, not my individual investments or whatever. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Well, should we get out of here? No, we should not because Jeff has a joke for us, Scott. All, all right. right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. How do you stop a bull from charging? Something about the horns. Take away his credit card. Uh, <laughs> came from what, my is, what, a, what a relevant joke. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, oh, I'm glad. I'll take That'll my own get advice. Him out of the red. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> oh my God. He's like this all day long. <laughs> That's Just, why you guys get along all the time. <laughs> Mindy always laughs and claims to hate it. I do, I do. I do hate them, but they're always super funny. Okay, Jeff, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I think this is going to be hugely helpful, not only for you and your personal finances, but for people who are listening who might be in a similar situation with a high income and they just can't figure out where their money is going all the time. I think listening to other people and seeing their situation helps you feel like, oh, I'm not the only one who isn't perfect. Um, I am the only one who's perfect. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it can feel, you know, Scott and I sit here and we're like, oh, you should do this. You should do this. And every time we talk, I'm like, oh, there's something else that I never thought I would say. Sell your rental property. I am in the buy rental properties business. I'm not in the get rid of them business. So it's interesting that I find myself recommending things, but not every property makes a good rental property. So cutting your losses and moving on can feel like a sting, like you said, but I really do think that you're going to just feel lighter once you've made these small changes. Yeah. And I think a good yeah. point you guys touched on is it, it's emotional. It, it it weighs on you emotionally every month through the losses and the gains and all the bills to pay. I mean, it, it definitely does weigh on you. Yeah. Once you can get rid of some of those, it's going to just be freeing. I'm really excited for you guys. And I would love to check in with you in a few months and see how this worked out. Yes, absolutely. See what changes you've made and see what, what how's it going. So uh, great. Well, we'll bring you on then in a couple of months and, and have a nice recap show. Okay. Glad to hear it. Okay. Thank you guys. Great, Jeff. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Scott, that was Jeff from California. I really, really loved talking to Jeff today because while it seems like we were, you know, oh, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. He actually has a lot of pretty simple things that he can do to really launch his financial picture. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think um, again, I said this in the introduction, but I think that, again, this, this show really just, it's not Jeff doing anything wrong. Jeff's done a lot of right things. His family is doing a lot of right things. They're there again, they have a high net worth. They earn a lot of income. Clearly a lot of things are going right. I just think that this is a really good example of a problem that a lot of middle-class America is running into right now. 
I, I just think it's a shame to have so much net worth in home equity and retirement accounts when you have that level of income. There's no nothing wrong with having home equity and retirement accounts, but there's no reason why his family couldn't, over the next couple of years, build just as much, if not way more wealth outside of those forces, th- those areas, while continuing to be responsible about their retirement and contributions and paying their mortgage, those types of things. So they have wealth outside of that, that gives them freedom, options, flexibility, allows them not to feel like he's living on one month of cash of spending right now, $10,000, one month for Jeff of household spending. That's not freedom. That's That's living month to month. Um, or almost paycheck to a little bit better than paycheck to paycheck. And I just think that that's, it's so normal for that to occur. Again, nothing wrong with what Jeff's doing. There's lots of things that he's doing that are completely normal. But how do we change that mentality, Mindy, in society so that, so that more and more people are doing it differently and saying, no, I've got six months to a year of liquidity. I've got options in my life. I can take that job. I can start a business. I can invest in this asset. I can do that over there. Well, again, continue to be responsible with their retirement account contributions and and home equity. You know, that's a really great question. How can we change this in society? I don't hear a lot of people in the personal finance space talking about current spent, not current spending, uh, current after tax investments. It's always max out your 401k, put it in the Roth IRA. But there's not a lot of conversation about generate additional income outside of your work with after-tax investments now. So, you know, I think having these money conversations, having these finance reviews is super helpful for me. Um, I hope other people get something out of it, but I'm getting a lot out of it. Uh, And just here's a different way to, to frame it. There is no one blanket approach to finance. I can't just say, yeah, do this and you'll be a millionaire because that's not... That's not really how it's going to go. But there are four principles, like you said, increase your income or reduce your expenses or both, generate additional income through investments and or start a business or do all four. And it's it's going to change the world if everybody would listen to me. I just wish they all would. That's right. I think everyone should listen to Mindy. Do you know anybody who who needs this information? Share these episodes with them because this, once you start hearing people talking about money, once you normalize the conversation about talking about money, it becomes less scary and less just for somebody else. And it invites more people into your circle. Um, but don't be preachy because nobody wants that. That's right. I, again, I just, I'm just, I'm getting all philosophical right now. We had a lot of episodes. So thanks for bearing with us if you've continued to listen. Um, but like, I just get all this philosophical. I think that this is a, this, this is a great example of I think what's happening to middle-class America right now. It's the house, the cars and the retirement accounts and the inability to accumulate that meaningful liquidity are making people who even who earn more and more income feel trapped in their lives and their current state, unhappy with a lot of the status quo. And that I think is a really unhealthy dynamic that is breakable. We just got to get out of this mentality that we have to keep buying the bigger and bigger home, the better and better car, and and figure out these retirement account contributions. If you earn over $150,000, $200,000 a year, and you're not able to max out your retirement accounts and still have a lot left over, something's going on. It's time for a strategy overhaul. It's time to figure out your expenses and say, why am I, if you're unhappy, if you're, if you're happy as a clam, nothing wrong with that. No, no one's, no one's arguing with that. Some people are very happy with 
like if Jeff and his wife were delighted in their jobs and weren't aspiring for financial freedom in the near term, they're going to have great career. They would have great careers and retire early or retire wealthy at the end. And when it's all said and done, no question about that. But if you want to retire early and get control over your time, what's going on? Why am I earning a high income and not able to high being over a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars really anywhere in the country and not able to both max out my retirement accounts or make a significant contribution and have this freedom and accumulation. That's a prioritization issue. And again, it's I think it's the whole bunch of reasons for the root, the middle class problems in this country. But that's the what that's one that's within our control in the middle class. You know, and I think that there are a lot of people who look at their individual expenses. I make $250,000 a year. I can afford a $400 a month car payment. Sure, if that's your only expense. And looking at your expenses overall is very helpful in against your income, but also looking at the individual expenses. How can I cut individual expenses? But look at the overall picture too. Oh, I make $15,000 a month, but I spend $15,000 a month. I'm not going to get ahead. It's I make $15,000 a month, I can spend $400 on a car payment. Makes sense. So it's kind of look at the overall picture and also look at the individual expenses. And I, I stand by my recommendation of tracking your spending in real time, in your face, on a notebook, right there as you walk in the door. Because that's where you see it, is in real time. That's when you can make the changes in real time. Yeah, I 100% agree. I I 100% agree. I think you have the right approach. It's better than the way I do it. I think it's the right approach for Jeff in particular in this instance. Again, I just don't spend that much money. So when I do, I'll suck it. I meant, but. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and, and your tracking expenses in a few months could be the best way because whatever you are doing, as long as you're going to do it is the best way for you. But when you're first starting out, I think that first couple of months, having it in your face can be the best approach because you can't just, you know, oh, I won't have to think about this until the end of the month. You have to think about it now. So, okay. Yes. Thank you so much. If you have been listening to us ramble on and on. Uh, Ladies, I want to call the ladies because we have talked to a lot of men here and I love the men, but we need some ladies calling in and talking to us about their finances. So ladies, if you would like us to look into your finances, please fill out the form at biggerpockets.com slash finance review. We are not here to make fun of you. We are not here to point out, oh, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. We're here to look at your finances from a neutral third-party perspective and see where we can make recommendations for tweaks that will send you off on a financial success route. Yep, absolutely. We need we need more and more folks. And, you know, it's... it's uh... Uh, please reach out to Mindy if you're a lady interested in having us discuss finances. Or a man. We're not discriminatory, but we do want to tell every finance story. And we can't tell every finance story if we don't tell the ladies too. So call me ladies. That's right. Okay. Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 172 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen asking you to stay out of trouble.
a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.